Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May your word be always on our minds and upon our lips and deep in our hearts. Amen. Shmuel was a good Hebrew boy growing up. In the annual, the yearbook at Capernaum High, he was named most likely to be a priest. Of course, he couldn't be because you only were a priest in Israel by birth. So they thought highly of him, his his, uh, classmates. He was a good boy. But it led to a very boring social life. If you're not having fun, you're doing sin wrong, and uh, he didn't have much fun. His aim in life was to please God. He can't remember a time in his life where he didn't want to be in right relationship with God, to please Adonai. In Torah school, he separated himself from the rest of the class by his Ability to memorize. As most Hebrew boys did in those days, they would spend their time in Torah class memorizing the scriptures. And Shmuel was able to memorize the Pentateuch faster than any of the other students. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. He memorized those, and he was showing great promise, and it wasn't at all surprising to anybody in Capernaum when Shmuel decided to become a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a person who tries to live by the law, the Torah and the prophets, the Hebrew scriptures. They take it very seriously. They spend their days, their time memorizing, meditating, thinking about the word of God. It's very important to them. It's central to their being and who they are. And Shmuel was excited to embark deeper and further into his studies. Being a Pharisee came with certain vestments that he got to wear. He wore a robe. He wore a headdress. He would spend his days meditating talking with other Pharisees, arguing, cussing, and discussing the texts of Moses and the prophets. Through the years, there had been these uneducated preachers that would emerge from the wilderness. They would show up, and they would start to teach. They would gather crowds around them. The Pharisees especially saw their job as to vet these so-called preachers. They would vet them. They would ask them questions. They would want to see signs. Some of these preachers would claim to be the Messiah, and the Messiah just means the king. They would claim to be the king of Israel, the one who was promised of God in the Old Testament to come and liberate Israel from all oppressors. When Shmuel was living, Rome was the oppressor. They had not been ruled by an Israelite king for generations. And so the hope of Messiah, the hope of the king, was great. And there then emerged a man, a man from Nazareth, 
a man that had all of these rumors swirling about him. It was said that he could drive demons out of people where crazy people would be in their right mind. It was said that he could allow the the healing of a paralytic, that people who hadn't walked in years could get up and walk across the room. Blind could see. Deaf could hear. Mute, much to their wives' chagrin, could speak again. And Jesus was this man's name. And from Nazareth, I mean, nothing good comes out of Nazareth, but Shmuel had to see what was the fuss, and so he found himself in a crowd of people. They were making their way to a mountainside near the Sea of Galilee. And then a man, unremarkable in shape, size, looks, or form, made his way to the top of the mountainside. He sat down. That's how you know who the teacher is. We have it all wrong, folks. You should be standing. I should be sitting. Just kidding. (laughs) Don't get up and leave. (laughs) He sits down. He begins to speak to the large crowd that had gathered from the Judean countryside, the Jerusalem Heights, the the Golan Heights, the crowds from Syria, the crowds from Damascus, Capernaum, all these people sitting, listening. And he says, blessed are you, and you are poor in spirit. For you, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Shmuel had heard similar teachings in the past. Uh, This was just your typical rabbi sitting and, and sharing the ashers, the blessed are. But who this preacher said was blessed, he had never heard such a thing. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are poor people. Blessed are the grieving. Blessed are the hungry. No, that's not who's flourishing in this life. Shmuel tuned back into the sermon. He had spaced out a little bit. I realize that happens sometimes. It even happened to Jesus I'm not near the orator he was. As he tuned back in, he was wrestling with a question, what does this man think of the scriptures, the law, the prophets? Just then, Jesus Jesus said these words, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Shmuel was pleased to hear this, but he had to vet this preacher more. And right then, he remembers the, the feeling that came over him. He remembers the, the shock. He remembers the 
exposure that he felt when the fiery eyes of this wilderness preacher looked at him. He locked eyes with Shmuel. He said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Shmuel was shocked with what he was hearing. How dare this country bumpkin preacher speak to a Pharisee in such a way. And yet at the same time, he felt exposed in a way he never had felt before. He felt like this man could just look deep inside of his chest and he could see the mask that Shmuel was wearing and the fuzzy math he would use to judge those around him. And like any good human being, he felt defensive. And when you feel defensive, you go on the offensive. And it was at those moments when the Pharisees started to contemplate the danger that Jesus was to them. And by the way, is he a danger to us? These ancient words, the Sermon on the Mount, we've been camping out in them for a little while. We're going to look at these words of Jesus today, where he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. And in this passage of scripture, we see Jesus telling us that he, he takes seriously the Old Testament. For millennia, Christians have tried to figure out what their relationship to the Old Testament should be. Should we not pay attention to it? It's full of bizarre, goofy ritual and all sorts of strange teachings. Should we do away with it? Should we try to abide by it? What parts of it apply to us today and what parts don't apply to us today? How would we know the difference? And for millennia, Christians have tried to figure out what to do with the Old Testament. And Jesus, in these few words, tells us, the Christians are supposed to fulfill the law. We're supposed to be like Shmuel, seeking to fulfill the law. The trouble is the Old Testament has 248 commands, things you're supposed to do, and it has 365 prohibitions. And now you're thinking, oh, great, thanks, preacher. So glad I came to church today. Isn't that what church is for, to beat me up over the head with commands and prohibitions. And really, what the Old Testament tells us, and what Shmuel, if we could get him here today, would tell us, was he couldn't fulfill the law. The Pharisees, they would interpret the laws. So one of the laws was, don't do any work on Shabbat. You got to love a God that tells you to take a day off every seventh day. And they tried to figure out, okay, what does it mean to work? What is work? And so they made all these rules and regulations around what it meant to not work. And so if you go to Israel today, if you happen to get in an elevator on Shabbat, you don't get to press the button for your floor because that would be considered work. So taxing, right? 
pressing a button on an elevator. So instead, to avoid you working on Sabbath, they just have the elevator stop at every single floor for you. Maybe they need to rethink their definition of work. I'd probably take the stairs, but is that work? Seems like more work than getting on the elevator. You see, the dilemma that they had was, what is work? The scriptures say, do not work. And so they started making guardrails around what is work and what isn't work. And they didn't want to crash the car over the cliff. I'm from Colorado, by the way. That's a thing there. And so they would build guardrails. And so that if you hit the guardrail, you would go, thank God the guardrail's there. I could have died. And so instead of breaking the Sabbath laws by not working, they just really made it a big guardrail around what is and isn't work. And they did this with all of these 248 commands and 365 prohibitions. And before you know it, they're boring people. And they're judgmental people. Self-righteous people. Sister, better than you. And into this discussion, into this context, Jesus comes. He says, let's look at one of these commands. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, anyone who has murderous thoughts, any, anyone who calls somebody a fool, anyone who says raka, is in danger of the fires of Gehenna. Wait a minute, doesn't God call people fools in the Bible? Wait a minute, don't prophets call people fools in the Bible? I've read Proverbs, it says fool a lot in there. And what does raka mean? I mean, come on, translators, your job is pretty simple. Translate the Bible into English. Raka? I mean, give me a break. Who knows what Raka is? I've never called any, I've never been even tempted to call somebody Raka. Maybe I'll start using it. I don't know. And the reason you got to be nice to the translators is because Raka just means nothing. Nobody. It's like having disdain in your heart for someone, which is something none of us ever struggle with. I'm sure. Jesus says that you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, if you have disdain, if you have murderous thoughts, if you think of somebody as less than you, if you dismiss people, if you celebrate when somebody else suffers a little bit because, gosh, they had that coming. If there's somebody in your life that you look down on, that you despise, that you do not interact with. I know it's a small town. This would never happen here. You see, Jesus is telling us we can't do this. The spirit of the law, I mean, for some people to quit murdering folks, that's a step forward. For most of us, it's not the problem. For most of us, we despise, we look down upon, we quit interacting with people, we turn our backs on them, we look at them with disgust. 
Jesus is telling us. That's actually what the law do not murder means. Well, how would he know? Well, if he is who he says he is, because later in this book he'll say that he's the son of God, he will claim to be God in the flesh. If he is who he says he is, he's happened to be the guy that wrote it. And now he's interpreting it for us. And he's telling us, us measly, terrible, no good for nothing, evil, black-hearted people, we can't do this. Well, preacher, I thought church was all about good news. Geez, you're one of those kind of preachers. Well, there is good news. Remember when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law? Why would he do that? Why would, why would God put on flesh, move into our neighborhood, and proceed to live out the law? Why would God do that? And the reason is, Jesus came and he lived the life that you and I are unable to live. Imagine every single day of your life. This is astounding. Every single day of your life, never having to say, I'm sorry. Now, for some of you, you don't say you're sorry, but you need to. And if you're getting nudged right now, you see, but Jesus never had to. Could you imagine living that type of life where you never have to say you're sorry for something you said, for something you did, for just being, I don't know, irritatingly perfect? Could you imagine? And that's who Jesus is. That's who he was. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He never had a murderous thought. As he's on the cross, I have yet to be crucified. It could happen still. Some of you got scary looks in your eyes at me sometimes. Uh, Jesus hanging on a cross, being crucified. And with just a thought from his mind, he could obliterate everyone there. But instead of doing that, he just sucks it up and takes it. He allows his creatures to kill the creator. He allows mere dust to destroy the author of life. And he willingly and lovingly does this for us. And then he says, I died the death that you should die. He lived the life, he lived this perfect life that you and I cannot live, but he died the death that we deserve to die. Since we can't live this perfect life, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time living up to my own standards. Do you have that trouble? Like I quit making New Year's resolutions because it was like <laughs> two days later. and I'm like, oh, there's still cookies from Christmas to eat. Tins and tins of them, you know. I'm like, ah, next week. And next week becomes April, Right? So I just quit making New Year's resolutions because I just feel so much better about myself that way. 
But every year, you know, for a long time, I would make resolutions. Okay, this year I'm going to do that. This year I'm going to do this. This year I'm going to get that together. This year I'm going to do that. And I kept falling short of just, you know, so, you know, before I quit making resolutions, I made really easy resolutions. Like, okay, I'm going to get up every day at like, you know, six. Because I found out there were two sixes in a day. I'm going to get up at six every single day. But then you're up late one night, you know, you're at Riney's for whatever reason, eating pizza, your friends, and then you're like, I think I deserve to sleep in. <sighs> what a disappointment I am. I can't even live up to my expectations of who I want to be. And now there's a God in heaven who has expectations on me? Yikes. What am I supposed to do with that? I'm pretty sure I can't live up to his expectations. And yet Jesus shows up on planet Earth. He lives up to those expectations. Not only that, he shows me and you that he loves us. He really likes us. He wants to be with us. He wants to spend eternity with you. He's not, he didn't show up to thump us all. He showed up to love us, to be kind to us, to die for us. He demonstrates that there is not a single thing in this world, in this life, that he would not endure for you, for me. That everything that that could possibly keep you from him, he is willing and able to overcome those things. Nothing will stand in his way. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans, he says, neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor anything in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're like, wow. That was a really cool, nerdy Christian rant there, Paul. And I hope it's true. And I'm here to testify as a divorcee, as a failure in many areas of my life, as a black-hearted jerk, that it's true. That God loves me. He loves you. He wants to be with you. So Jesus, in this sermon, tells us that he came to fulfill the law for us. Then he says, if your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And you see, this is where the truly good news kicks in, and hopefully Shmuel that day heard it, because what Jesus is saying is you can't do it, but I did it for you. You can't do it, but I did it for you. I love how Dr. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City for many years, I believe he's retired now, but I love how he put it. He said, the gospel is news about what God has already done for you, rather than instruction and advice, and advice about what you are to do for God. In other religions, so Hinduism, Islam, God reveals to us 
how we can find or achieve salvation. But in Christianity, God achieves salvation for us. The gospel brings news, primarily, rather than instruction. That's why it's called the good news. It's not called the good instructions. It's the good news that Christ has died. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And if you are allegiant to King Jesus, if you follow King Jesus, then you will get to dwell and experience him forever and ever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these powerful words from Jesus. We thank you that he lived the life that we could not live, and he died the death that we should have died. Thank you for this good news, that through Jesus, we can have right relationship with you. We can have our hearts transformed. We can be made into righteous people. Holy Spirit, make it so. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.